Thanks, everybody. Welcome to Live Art Development Agency, LADA. I'm uh, Lois from LADA, and along with CJ, Amy, Alex, I'd like to welcome you here this evening. Um, if people haven't been to LADA before, there's sort of brochures around and about. Please do sign up to our mailing lists and get information about what we do. But if you haven't been here before, in a nutshell, we um, describe ourselves as a, as a centre for live art, uh, a research and knowledge centre, a production centre for programmes and publications, and that's one of the reasons we're here this evening, and an online centre for um, dissemination and experimentation. Um, so we do lots of different things. We um, do projects, we do lots of professional development opportunities for artists. We have a call out at the moment for proposals for our annual DIY programme of artist-led workshops for other artists. So if any artists in the room, please do check that out. Think about applying for DIY. Um, we offer lots of resources and you're sitting in our main resource, which is our study room research library, open access research library. Again, if you're interested in performance and related stuff and haven't been here before, please do come back and use the facilities. Open Mondays to Fridays. Um, and we also have an online shop called Unbound. Um, and then the uh, final area of activity that we do is, um, is publications. And I say that's the reason that we're here this evening to mark the publication of Tanya Ostershik's beautiful book, The Lexicon of Tanya's Ostershik. So we... Um, we knew of uh, Tanya Ostrzyk's reputation um, for many, many years, been in awe of her for many years, knowing about her sort of performance-based work that's looking at issues of sort of gender, politics, feminism, labor, and, um, and uh, displacement and migration. Um, but we didn't actually get to meet Tanya until 2016, when we were working with the brilliant artist and researcher Elena Marchewska, and she was doing a research residency with us looking at um, kind of different kinds of case studies and different ways of working around issues of displacement. And as part of her research residency, she invited Tanya to come to London to run one of Tanya's legendary misplaced women workshops. Um, and it was about 15, 16 misplaced women, no, about 14 misplaced women and one misplaced man um, took part in Tanya's workshop. And that was when we were based out in um, Hackney Wick and so a lot of that activity happened around the Olympic Park and around, and around Westfield. So it was a brilliant opportunity for us to meet with Tanya and collaborate with Tanya, and huge thanks to Eleanor for that. And it was at that point that Tanya told us about this publication she was planning around her lexicon project and asked if we'd be interested in working with her on the book, and we leapt at the opportunity. So um, really delighted to be the co-publisher of this amazing book. And I just want to say huge thanks to Tanya for inviting us to be part of this um, project and for coming here for the launch event. I also want to thank Harriet Curtis, who worked closely with Tanya on copy editing the book and everybody else who was involved in it. Um, so this evening, we are here to um, mark the London, the UK launch of the book. Tanya did a couple of launches in um, in Germany and a couple of other places, but this is the London launch. So um, <coughs> I'm going to hand over to Tanya in a minute just to say a few words about the Lexicon project and about the book itself. Um, and then our friend and colleague, Adrian Heathfield, who's going to say a few words about Tanya. And then our friend and colleague, Teresa Albour, uh, is uh, going to talk about her experiences of being involved in the Misplaced Women workshop. 
And then there's going to be a conversation between Alexander Cianetti of Performing, Performing Borders and Tanya about the project. Then we'll open it up for questions, discussion. And then you can all leap over there and buy copies of the book, which Tanya will very kindly sign for you. So thanks to everybody for coming. Um, lovely to see you all here. And I'm now going to hand over to Tanya, who's going to sit down to speak, I believe. Uh, thank you, Eloise, very much for this kind of uh, introduction. And um, thanks everyone uh, who made it uh, here. Um, I, I would like to say that uh, I'm, I'm really uh, privileged to have a, uh, had this opportunity to have a, a LADA as a co-publisher uh, of this book um, that uh, has been a result of a, a long-term project. And um, I, I would like to... Um, I, because the project was so huge and so complex, I, I wasn't like uh, ready to present it uh, so briefly, but um, Alessandra suggested uh, I should maybe uh, talk about, uh, start with talking about different phases of the project development and realization and see where it would bring me in this uh, uh, brief uh, introduction. So basically, uh, the, at the very beginning, um, uh, the idea, uh, um, like how, how everything started, like uh, I, I got to know um, really um, in the beginning of 90s, uh, a friend of mine said, um, oh, I know, uh, I have a colleague that is, has a name, Tanya Ostwich. Uh, she works in the National Library in Belgrade and you should get to know each other. So uh, it was like a trigger, uh, but um, she actually never managed to bring us together. Um, and a um, couple of years later, I was invited to propose a project for the Serbian pavilion of the, uh, in the Venice Biennale uh, that is actually a pavilion of, was a pavilion of Yugoslavia, and where it's written Yugoslavia on, on the uh, facade, on the, on the front uh, uh, side. And um, so I was... Um, um, I thought uh, that idea uh, to uh, work with Tanya's Ostovic for that occasion would be amazing because um, it is uh, far the most complex project I've done uh, because many different issues that I was working with in different projects um, came together in this one. Um, migration um, and uh, uh, gender, uh, gender issues, and uh, the labor issues, um, they, they all got um, uh, analyzed and dealt with in this project, and much more than that. Um, so not to talk about uh, Serbian cultural politics, and uh, I mean, I never managed to, they invited me, but they didn't choose my project. So uh, of course, my, my way to realize the project was difficult and, and, and different. Um, and um, uh, it was um, uh, like uh, uh, financed partly the research period of the project through my um, fellowship at the University of Arts in Berlin from 2012 to 14. And uh, that's the time when I did, um, I would say, ethnographical research, uh, which main focus was uh, on like a uh, researching wi within the like a peer group, and the peer group were the name sisters. Uh, so uh, around 33 women that all 
uh, come from different generations, so born between 1950s and 2000 something, and uh, that all have first name Tanya and family name Ostoich. And they are of different nationalities and different social backgrounds, uh, and as well, um, yeah, different life experiences, uh, uh, living in urban or um, urban places or also uh, coming from villages. And um, so why Yugoslavia, as I mentioned before, was important because all of Tanya's ostrich, whether based in Switzerland, uh, Germany, uh, Cayman Islands uh, or Montenegro, uh, they all um, themselves uh, or their parents were born in Yugoslavia. And we could all communicate in the same language. We could understand each other in um, something that we called Serbo-Croatian language. So with this project, I also uh, went into, uh, how to say, um, like um, researching on the uh, kind of history of Yugoslavia um, uh, about um, like uh, what were the emancipated Yugoslavian women um, and uh, th so that was all part, part of this project, right? Um, now to get back to the phases, um, so regarding the research, um, I, I did, um, um, for me the the ethical issue was very important, that nothing can be used, I wrote an ethical codex, so that nothing can be used without uh, prior uh, uh, written permission from the women and uh, from, from this one-to-one -one encounters and interviews I, I was doing. And that they could at any point censor anything that should go in the public or get out of the project at any step. And that they should get also uh, uh, copies of all materials that are produced in the frame of this project. So this was this period, um, 2012 to 14, in which I traveled. Um, and uh, it was very, um, I, I learned a lot from, from those encounters and from uh, different notions of traveling in uh, like, uh, for example, buses in Bosnia or, uh, you know, like changing from the <laughs> changing flights in Vienna, it's one crowd, and the in the Bosnian buses, it's a, it's another crowd, and and it was very um, very interesting for me, uh, and uh, also for women was interesting because um, the project was collaborative on different stages. The um, the interviews, um, the, the number of questions in the interviews were growing. Uh, as the first woman I met um, uh, was uh, Tanya Ostrich, a mathematics teacher in Lurach in Germany, uh, who lived literally at the border with France and um, Switzerland. And um, we walked together over the border and then, then we talked about this project. And we set together the basic questions. Some questions that were, for example, more interesting for her, like uh, what is your hobby or what is your horoscope science? And some other questions that were more interesting for me, for example, related to the issues of uh, family violence or reasons for migration, key years and, and things like that. Um, 
conditions of working uh, pay. Uh, and I looked at through generational, also always asking about uh, family, uh, actually parents, parents, the women and their children, trying to look through generations. Our next phase of the project, if I could uh, uh, try to go on, uh, is actually um, it took time to, um, uh, to make it possible to happen because I, I felt, you know, I'm in the privileged position, I'm traveling, they need to travel as well. And um, in this phase, um, I, I, worked, um, I, I worked on a kind of... Um, introduction into aesthetical uh, uh, practices um, via uh, museum visits, uh, workshop, creative workshops, and um, in this um, I had um, a support uh, I, uh, with the institutional partners such as four museums of contemporary art in the region in uh, Croatia, Bosnia and Serbia, and also Goethe Institute in Belgrade was a very important partner and they hosted uh, uh, the creative workshops and uh, guided tours. So everywhere we go, we, we had a guided tour, for example, through museum collections, and then we would present uh, the project uh, ourselves and talk about the projects. And um, the, the creative workshops were in um, terracotta uh, and also in um, uh, documentary embroidery. Uh, the documentary embroidery workshops I led together with my uh, colleague uh, Vahida Ramojkic. I, I thought I should rather take something that is more approachable to women and it's not coming from directly from my artistic practice, so I consciously decided not for the performance. And uh, this was um, uh, functioning very nicely. Um, and through the interviews we always got to the kind of um, key issue, what was the, the key issue in each woman's history. And then we tried to, to um, um, creatively express that through the embroidery that became after a patchwork um, of, of those uh, pieces, of those individual pieces. And uh, related to this, um, uh, I, I could say the uh, again, very important was that this creative work uh, is a joint. Uh, we, are, we are having a shared authorship and shared ownership over this, uh, this art piece. Um, and what, what was um, nice, so the, they were, uh, there were a couple of exhibitions, uh, for example, in the Salon of the Museum of Contemporary Art in Belgrade, and also in um, the Museum of Modern and Contemporary Art in Rijeka. And we did a guided tour at the opening. And then the women, they, on their own initiative, did another guided tour when they invited their crowds. And that was also officially announced from the museum. And they could speak about, you know, having experience of hearing other artists talking about their work, uh, for example, uh, as it happened in Banja Luka, and then um, they talked also themselves about their own artistic um, experience, uh, own uh, experience with artistic work. And um, so this, this was um, 
very important point in the um, kind of closing comments of the of the participants of the workshop uh, when I asked them for the for the feedback what was uh, most important for them so the most important were transformative encounters uh, that that happened um, through the through this those meetings because we had this amazing community that has been created um, over the period of time meeting women at different cities different countries uh, you know having endless coffee sessions and uh, consulting each other about their like uh, family issues and um, also what some of them said what was extremely important for them was this experience of like uh, um, you know, having having own creative practice, and that was for them uh, really kind of opening another space in their lives. Um, and now, probably, I need to get to the book. So, book was um, book is very beautiful. I mean, I really love it, and uh, uh, it's um, a collection of uh, different uh, essays. Uh, that are very actually very different formats of the text. Uh, introduction by Louise uh, Kaidan from from Lada. Then comes my um, text uh, that is called Transformative Encounters. Uh, that um, that is like a patchwork text. It's not really like a, uh, you know it's not a, a solid research text. It's more like a, uh, giving you idea about how did it go, what was uh, interesting. Um, what made me think, you know, at wh what, what point I, I decided I have to change perspective um, and particularly looking at those issues of uh, uh, ethics uh, in the ethnographical research and the ethics in the artistic practice where you work with other people. Um, and uh, then uh, in, in this um, essay I also included comments of participants and comments of um, visitors, uh, for example, some exhibition visitors, because it was really m moving for, for some of the people, and that was also important, you know, that it does mean to other people as well, not just to us, right? And then there is um, like a heart of the book, uh, it's called Women Talk, it's the biggest chapter, and uh, these are exactly those interviews, um, uh, only authorized interviews, um, some of them have been uh, polished and censored, but uh, um, still, um, it's a very, you could sense, it's a very sensitive situation in which you openly talk about certain issues at your work or in your family. And I did interview myself also, because I thought I should put myself in this equally exposed position. And I'm also one of the Tanya's hostage, right? Uh, then uh, there is a, a chapter, uh, favorite uh, recipes of Tanya Ostwich. It's like a co little cooking book, and uh, where they are from like uh, self-made recipes to traditional uh, to international recipes. I recommend. It's just watch out because there is uh, a lot of cakes. <laughs> and then um, there is a, a very nice um, um, like. Um, uh, again, like a dialogue uh, um, chapter, uh, it's in conversation uh, between Adele Eisenstein and myself on research, artwork, activism, solidarity and agency. 
uh, as a DAL um, uh, already was a proofreading um, all my last three last three English books, and she is really an expert of my work, and she's a curator herself, but also. Um, she was a head of the Amnesty International in Budapest, and uh, she could talk from very interesting perspectives. So there is um, a discussion about uh, earlier projects of mine. And then there is amazing theoretical uh, essay by Dr. Susanna Milevska, uh, who was uh, also my external supervisor uh, during my fellowship at uh, UDK in Berlin. And as she wrote, this essay in 2013, then um, she did not change it for the uh, publication. She, she wrote like a postscriptum, like a, a small uh, um, follow-up uh, to it. And um, it's a, like a really like a brain of the book. And uh, with Susanna, we have, um, um, we've been working for, um, uh, since 2000, basically for 18 years and uh, uh, really understand well each other and um, uh, she wrote uh, in particular what is very important um, uh, about difference between the proper name and identity, about difference between the uh, national identity and uh, uh, identity of, uh, of a person. So I would really like to warmly recommend, um, recommend the project. Yeah, thank you. Hello, everybody. Hi. Um, hello. That's is that different? Yes. Um, so um, I, I uh, wanted to just say a few words about uh, uh, Tanya and her work because I, I was really um, uh, I think I was a bit of an early adopter, but my relationship is really rather virtual. I've been hearing about her work for quite a long time. Uh, and then also following it through its documentation in various ways, and it's actually the first time that we've <laughs> we've really met. But that's that's quite appropriate for some of uh, Tanya's work as well, because it often works through uh, distance and virtual uh, connection. And um, I think for me, I, I, I'm very attracted to this work for uh, for uh, two. Um, almost, I, th I guess, they're founding principles that underlie the early works um, uh, that she did. I'm, I'm talking about these works that are often called the migration um, works. In particular, there's a piece uh, called uh, Looking for a Husband with an EU Passport, which I'm sure uh, some of you know, in which uh, she literally does do, do that, <laughs> and uh, through a sort of uh, extended uh, uh, net network and series of encounters arrives at a, a form of affinity and uh, migration across borders and across uh, legal uh, legal status but also another piece called um, illegal border crossing and these are in the early I think they're both in start in 2000 yeah um, and um, both of these pieces and all the migration pieces in fact are founded on these two principles um, which I, I find so admirable. Um, the first is that the law uh, is um, an arbitrary and violent social construct that can be played 
exposed as a performance statement apparatus or tested through its social and personal consequences. And in particular, obviously, you, you, you get the sense from that description that the law that's being tested here is the laws of migration or the laws of personal union or um, the laws that govern uh, the borders between states. Um, so that, that's the, the first principle that I really admire, law as an arbitrary or violent social construct that can be played. Um, and the second is um, that connective affinity, that friendship, that networks, uh, that being with many, all of those things are a resource and a transformative force to be used against the powers that would isolate, contain, or oppress us. And those two principles are really, uh, for me, this, this, the founding principles of, of this work. And they carry through into this new uh, project in, in very subtle and beautiful um, ways. So it's really a delight for me to uh, get hold of uh, this book. And as you probably have a sense from some of the images, it's a really extraordinary uh, combination of documentation and really smart um, critical writing around uh, the work. And it's one of those, uh, it, it leads to a very strange form of envy, uh, for me anyway, when I was reading it, which is name envy. Uh, because I was left, um, you know, really wishing that I had been born <laughs> under the name of Ostajic and could uh, participate fully in this project. Um, but like, like many of Tanya's projects, it starts with something so simple, a really, really simple idea. Um, that the affinity of sharing something quite arbitrary and impersonal, a name. You know, we don't, we don't really, um, it's like being born effectively. You don't at least get to choose your first name. You can uh, resist and transform it, but you are given it and you take it um, and then to some extent, you live with it for a while. Um, and there is always something very strange about names, I think, that sort of impersonal dynamic of the name, that it, it is both absolutely part of your singular being and also could be anybody's, really. Um, and um, from that, she threads and she weaves and she catalyzes a really complex project. And it's, so, it's such an open project, but it's also um, very price, precisely confined. Um, and it's so open that it can take in um, numerous collaborations, a vast diversity of processes and forms, and it proliferates many documents and artifacts that have a kind of forceful archival uh, life and compress into forms of installation and books. So you have this sense in which there are events and processes that are on, ongoing, and also there are these, uh, there's this accumulation of an archive that is also ongoing and they're parallel and they're also branching and as, as they um, proliferate. Um, and like many of Tanya's projects, uh, Lexicon has uh, this auto-poetic dynamic or dimension, um, which uh, is that it, it generates and regenerates itself. 
And that's very powerful in this work because you really have the sense in which um, it could keep uh, going, right? It could keep going on and on um, until perhaps you exhausted uh, all of the Tanya's Ostajic in the world. Um, or perhaps uh, until um, some internal natural or social law or, or, or a law of the um, self-governing organism or the law of the sorority, because really it's making a, a sorority, uh, some internal law would actually stop it from, um, uh, from regenerating and from expanding. So it's a, it's a really, um, there's something very interesting, I think, in that, that principle of the work. Two, or, two other things that I really admire about, about this work. Um, uh, Tanya manages to do all of that, all of that, whilst um, avoiding and critiquing at the same time quite a lot of the traps of uh, participatory art, because this, this is clearly a participatory art uh, project. And she also avoids a lot of the traps of artistic research, in particular with participatory art, um, because of the way that she has founded this, uh, the, the ethos of the project and its conceptual focus on uh, names and um, naming and its creation of uh, what are called in the book uh, Name Sisters. You become Name Sisters. Um, it, it, I, I think, very neatly sidesteps some of the problems of appropriation uh, and of um, exploitation that happen between artists and uh, participants in participatory art. There's a kind of uh, uh, a very open democratic uh, principle to this work and it's non-hierarchical and has a certain kind of uh, flatness about it, which is very important, I think, um, uh, in terms of its, its ethos. Um, Something about that comes from the arbitrary um, commonality of the communion. I mean, you, you, you're, you're only with these people because they have your name, right? A name, a name, yeah. And um, that, that interests me a lot, particularly because it, I think it also speaks to a, a question about ethics, which you you mention repeatedly in the book, and that, and that is that, you know, there's a, a dimension of ethics which we've forgotten, which is that we don't, we don't get to choose the other. You know, the other, the other is just there. Um, and um, that, I think, is very powerful uh, in this piece. But also in terms of practices research, which um, I think is very, um, uh, many of you may may be involved in in that within university uh, contexts, but this is really re um, research art. It avoids one of the big problems of the ethics of um, of practices research in universities, uh, which is that it, because of the way it uses chance and flows and the way it sort of accumulates and builds on encounters in terms of its decision making. I, I know Tanya laid out these sort of basic principles of ethics, but there is a sense as well in the project in which the ethics of the uh, piece are being in invented as, as you go along and that they're being recalibrated uh, and trans transformed. And of course that often in um, university contexts that's not the case. You know, you're, 
you're, you're held to the law of your ethics and ethics becomes a kind of, because it's prescribed in advance, uh, it becomes a kind of morality. And I really value um, that in this work. And finally, I just wanted to say that I think like many of the great um, performances um, uh, of the last 20 or 30 years um, involving sustained durational practices, it points really, the whole project points to one kind of vital definition of art practice, uh, which is that art uh, ultimately can be a form of experimental life. Uh, and that, I think, is what um, uh, is really um, the place that uh, Tanya's work heads into because of its kind of just a staggering commitment to art in life and to its transformative capacities. Um, anyway, so thank you very much for this beautiful uh, work and it's one that I'll be pouring over and revisiting um, many times and I hope you will too. Adrian, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, welcome to folks who've arrived after we started. I'm not going to say late, Zav. I'm not going to say... Uh, welcome to... Because please do... No, no, no. Please do grab a drink and, and grab a chair in this area of the room. Um, I'd now like to hand the microphone to the wonderful Theresa Albo um, to talk about working with Tanya on the Misplaced Women workshop and how it relates to wider issues in relation to your own practice. It's really interesting to me to listen to the first, to Tanya to speak and then to you to speak because we, we honestly didn't um, tell each other what we were going to say. And, and so much of what I want to say um, overlaps with what, what both of you have already said. Um, I had the opportunity uh, to be part of this project, Misplaced Women, which is a different project that Tanya does, where people are invited to work with her around issues of migration, especially the vulnerability of women. And I guess about 14 of us, 15 of us, um, were selected to work with Tanya. Um, and before we get into the slides, the first thing I, I had two observations that I wanted to make about the whole experience. The first was this sense of generosity. And it starts at the beginning with Lada, who supports, who support all of us tirelessly, um, in, in, a, in a way that allows us to do our work um, without making a huge fuss out of it, um, but in a, an incredibly generous way. And so they supported Elena to come and do a residency, um, to do work around all of these issues. And then Elena, in, a very, in the same spirit of generosity, then said, well, I'm going to use my residency to invite Tanya to come and work with people. And Tanya could have just come and worked with Elena, but no, she was generous to invite all of us to come and work with her and with Elena and with Lada. So there were these just layers of generosity, um, which, you know, as artists we need to, to, you know, engender, but so often we don't. And so it's so nice to have been part of something with that concept behind it. The second is the importance of what I have written down as process and community, but which you referred to as, um, what did you call it? Uh, I can't read my writing. Um, the connective affinity. The connected affinity as a resource. 
Um, and that's what I, I'm going to talk about. So if, if we go to the first slide, um, I met or one of the other people who's here is Dagmara Balan, and we'd known each other. We came together in this workshop, and uh, uh, we both came with bodies of work that address this issue. Dagmara had been working a lot about the idea of migration and her own personal history, and I had been working in the island of Lesvos and came back with a collection of objects that people had left behind who were migrating. Um, and I think I'm going to hand the microphone to Dagmara briefly, because this is the actual suitcase that... Um, do you want me to say about the process or about this action here? Yeah. So uh, it started all with Tanya with the simple action. So what you said, it starts with a simple concept. Uh, and the simple concept was um, unpacking a bag in public space. So this is where we started with Tanya sharing her performance action of public, uh, of unpacking the bag. And then each of us were invited to unpack uh, the bag in public spaces and um, and then this action uh, was then a development of that idea uh, which was a procession over um, the bridge, Westfield Bridge, that led to uh, Westfield Shopping Centre. So all the participants were following uh, me inside the bag um, over the bridge and it was uh, kind of a I don't know, exp experience, let's say, of a difficult journey. <laughs> and I had one of the participants next to me saying, right, left, no, turn around this way and that way, because I couldn't see. Um, but, but as a community, kind of, let's say, I managed to pass through. And if you go to the next slide, um, then you did a second piece. Oh, yeah. Okay, and this was the second action, which was on the platform. Yeah, and this was unpacking my bag on the platform um, and I think Teresa with two other participants were there on the other side witnessing as well as passerbys, sorry, documenting, yes, I think it was Teresa or Danielle documenting the action and um, but also, I mean, people on the streets on the platform were witnessing as well and uh, yeah. Okay, and this is actually where, this was the first action, so we're kind of going reverse, but this was the, uh, so this was on the corner, close in Hackney by a squad, uh, and as Hackney has been uh, hardly hit by gentrification, um, and I think that building was like a, one of the long, a former squad, one of the longest squad existing, so I kind of decided to do the action there. As all the participants, participants were invited to choose their own location for the action, which was all quite diverse amongst all of us. Yeah. So, so yes, as you explained, so we all began with this simple action of unpacking a bag. And um, the other thing that was, that you alluded to was we all supported each other. So we were always there together while this was happening. Um, often in, in kind of silence or observing or ma are making it possible. Um, and in just a second, there's another slide coming. Um, did we run out of juice? Ran out of juice. Um, okay. Um, and so I, I had brought a series of props, um, which as I said, were objects that um, I was on the island of Lesvos working there um, and, and observing and I, bumped into a group of people uh, called the Dirty Girls of Lesbos 
who uh, had coll were collecting things people left behind, their clothing, washing them and redistributing this clothing. Um, and, and next slide. And so they would find things in clothing. So it was offered to me to make work with. And so during the workshop, um, clothing, or sorry, these bits and pieces along, things like photographs and watches and wallets and things. And at Westfield Shopping Center, um, I unpacked it um, from this migration bag, and it was Christmas time, so I repacked it. And again, I had the supportive circle of other artists and writers and people in, around me, Tanya acting sort of as, as interference with this very nice security guard who was just doing his job, just paid a minimum wage, who was saying, now she's wrapping things up. And we could hear, we could hear him saying, no, she's not trying to give anything away, which seemed to be the major concern of, of Westfield Mall. And um, I was also calling out the names of people who have gone missing on their journey coming um, largely from Syria or Afghanistan um, using the route that comes through Lesbos. Um, and we, Tanya engaged the security guard in conversation, um, which allowed the piece to happen for about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, next slide. And then this was um, another, uh, again, the, these are in kind of reverse order. This is the first piece where I took all these objects out um, and I spent about an hour trying to untangle a, a, a necklace which I've never been able to untangle as a performance piece. But what, so this was the workshop, but next slide please. The amazing thing was that after the workshop, um, I think you invited me to do the same piece or a similar piece for a benefit in, in Peckham um, for people in Calais. Um, so I brought along these objects and my plan was to lay them out in this area and try to convince people to hold them and make a connection between the object and the person who was migrating. Next slide. <clears throat> and so when we arrived there and Dagmar was going to do her piece in another place, we just almost spontaneously, just before we performed, decided to do our pieces together in the same space. So she had no longer was using her suitcase, but now had switched over to a, what well, I call a migration bag, I don't know what you call it. Um, and um, I was dressed in black, kind of like a stagehand, next slide. And, was, um, and, and there you see, she's now got these magnificent um, shoes that have the Union Jack on, sequined shoes. Um, the English dream, the British dream, and, and as Tanya pointed out, nicely matches the bag, so it was very, very stylish and color coordinated. And the next slide. And um, what I was doing was taking the objects, and there was no electricity. This was a beautiful old theater, I think the first cinema ever in, in London. It's derelict now. And l l making a little space of light with a candle and setting the object there and encouraging people to touch it. Next slide. Um, and you know, people would come and, and look and, at the object and, and um, we critiqued the piece. We didn't like the candles. We thought they were too much like a memorial. So the next slide. Um, we, we then decided during refugee week to do a piece and this time the venue was an open market and uh, we had the objects on a plinth. Please touch, next slide. And uh, <coughs> um, you know, these are some of the left behind objects. Slide. And started about um, 20 feet away, um, and going to make her way via the um, sound of the calling of the names of people who've gone missing 
to me. Um, next slide. And so she got in inside the bag and started to make her way. And the piece was, in this context was totally different. People felt very disturbed and threatened by this. Um, so, um, and, and we had really made an effort to hand out sheets of paper explaining what the work was all about. Um, next slide. The third time we, d we did the piece was very recently in January in Richmond in a gallery there, which was, I work with another artist named Blaise Pontus, who's a photographer. And we've been using these objects to start conversations. Um, one of the iterations of this piece, um, the piece is called The Things We Leave Behind. And uh, we'd been giving women settled in London pieces to keep for a month or so, and then they've been writing letters to the person they imagine left it behind. Um, and I thought this would be a great idea for us to do our performance again. Next, piece, next slide. So we did it in this tiny, beautiful little gallery space. Um, people would wander in and out, uh, but in, instead they came and stayed for the whole sort of hour of the performance. Um, and this time around, um, next, next slide, we started using um, border tape and flashlights. Uh, next slide. Um, so I would hand people objects and then illuminate them with a flashlight. Um, so, so this is ongoing work. Um, and also, I wanted to mention that in this last piece, um, that uh, Dagmar really made much more out of getting in and out of the bag. In the next slide. And that was really interesting because she didn't wear any clothes and her vulnerability um, was very striking, especially in contrast to these nice women who had come in their kind of designer outfits um, and found it, it was very moving. There were a lot of people who were in tears afterwards. The, the objects really have a metaphysical way of bringing the people who lost them into the room. Um, and the last slide is very much about this idea of affinity. Um, we are now starting a whole new body of work, um, which isn't really about migration or vulnerability, um, and we just recently, you can go to the last side, um, did this, this piece together, um, which is about motherhood, really, and it was done in the context of my work on um, the aging female body and middle-aged women, and um, Dagmara invited me as a younger performance artist to re-perform one of her pieces. This is her piece called Eat Your Beans, and it's an older body performing the work of a younger performance artist because we couldn't find in the canon of women performance artists um, that happening. It's usually older performance artists asking younger women to reenact their work. So the work is always done by a younger woman's body. So we were sort of playing with that idea. Um. <laughs> it's very dramatic. Um. So, so anyway, um, I, we ended with that slide just to, to give you an idea, not so much of how great the process-based workshop was, but how great it was to make these connections and to continue to do our work um, inspired by the work of Tanya and, and made possible by the generosity of everyone involved um, in setting up the workshop. Thank you so much, Theresa. And now um, I'd like to invite up Alexander Cianetti, um, uh, a curator, researcher, writer, and everything. Um, and uh, Alexandra's 
been has a fantastic ongoing project called Performing Borders, uh, uh, and she's also t uh, Alexandra's also created a wonderful study and guide for us as well around issues of performance and borders and stuff. So I do encourage you to look at that and also to look at this amazing Performing Borders blog, ongoing blog. And so this is Alexander and Tanya in conversation. Hello, everybody. Congratulations to Tanya for your publication. And thank you to Lada and Lois and everybody for inviting me to actually spend time with the documentation, talks, and you know, texts about the practice of such a committed experimental artist. So the first time I met Tanya's work, I think was, if I recall, where it was through the publication React Feminism, a performing archive. Um, actually, that was part of a piece of a research I was doing um, as part of my master in art theory and philosophy that led to the creation of this online blog called Performing Borders, live, a conversation on live art crossings in Europe. I was interested in um, exploring the relations between live art and borders, so I started, um, I don't know whether we can have this slide, and there, I started interviewing few uh, live artists, um, academics, and art professionals, the, uh, and shared those interviews online, uh, thanks to the generosi generosity of many people, some of them today with us. And also, uh, since uh, last February, uh, since last February, uh, live artist and curator uh, Xavier de Sosa, that is here with us today, started his own Queering Border series, in, in a series of interviews. So watch out for his um, interview next 14th of March. Um, so uh, the idea of performing borders was to play with the tool of the interview to actually delve and research the practices of live artists who have been addressing the notion of border, uh, a notion that is quite urgent, has been quite urgent for a long time, we can see also from your work, but uh, within um, Europe, uh, today Europe, what, what does it mean border today, but also, um, especially when the social political landscape is changing under our eyes on a daily basis. Let's see at the, you know, Brexit, we have, you know, we have had Trump as well on the other side of the pond, and yesterday Italian's election, for example, but let's not talk about that. So, reading about uh, your work, Tanya, I saw many, uh, many overlapping interests. I was really struck by um, your approach to the biopolitics at play in gender and labor relations, and also to the politics of exclusion. And so uh, another specificity of your work that really attracted me was the fact that you decide to abandon what you call the one-off artworks uh, in favor of long-term speci specific and very um, long-term projects specific to many, uh, many issues, but uh, all based on long-term commitment. And that made me think in a different way about performing borders as well, thinking that uh, made me think about uh, maybe thinking more of an historical perspective on the European borders and their colonial past and present. But also, what does it mean to create long-term participatory 
ethical projects that uh, address borders from a geographical, economic and socio-political um, perspective. So um, I think that your practice has been uh, actually concerned with the notion of borders for many years, I was saying. And so I was wondering, first of all, and finally I'm starting my interview, is what, the, what role borders have played in shaping, in influencing, or informing your specific approach to live art? <laughs> That's a yeah. broad one. Yeah, live interview. So. Um, the, to be honest, um, the borders uh, itself um, uh, physically um, did not uh, were not something I related to as a uh, kind of a statical object. But uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the the frustration uh, that they uh, bring to or the uh, the difficulties they bring. Uh, because they are there, they are not given, you know, they have been constructed. And um, uh, through certain, um, um, through certain, uh, uh, let's say, um, I mean, they put you in the situation uh, to have to deal with this uh, obstacle. So I, I've seen them as an obstacle through my life. And uh, I, I looked uh, at, the, at the issues of uh, uh, crossing borders uh, through history and the uh, uh, strategies migrants were forced to apply in order to transpass the borders and the biopolitics that have been imposed through the borders. Uh, and um, Exactly. So, um, for for that reason, I've been uh, researching on this for for a long term, and I cannot talk about certain uh, performative uh, gesture. I mean, they they were kind of inspiring because you have to involve your creativity in order to deal with such a uh, frustrating matters uh, of like a constantly applying for visas, constantly queuing, constantly. Uh, and then, as I'm working from my own perspective, because I think it's uh, necessary to to work from 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 own perspective first, and and to see um, like um, yeah, who is speaking. Uh, in this case, um, uh, I cannot look at it as a as a body practice. I, I can speak only as a uh, kind of Serbian passport holder. European white female, right? And, uh, um, but also kind of educated. So uh, it is always when you go through the administ certain administrative procedures, you, uh, you have to go through with, <laughs> with all this so that the borders, um, that, that's how the borders become visible to me, yeah. right? And as Adrian was mentioning, you have since the beginning of 2000, you have started your uh, crossing border series. So we have illegal border crossing, for example, a performance when you uh, cross the, uh, at that time, Schengen border between uh, Slovenia and Austria, and then waiting for a visa or the untitled after Courbet photograph that actually uh, spread a lot of criticism as well. And I was wondering whether you can tell us a bit about those um, performances where you use your own body uh, to actually cross the border, think about that. 
Uh, well, the, the crossing border series uh, from 2000-2005 with the illegal border crossing, as we said, as I lived in Slovenia at the time and I couldn't get the permission to, to go to Austria, I did um, then decide to, to go in a non-registered way. And, um, and then uh, with the queuing for visa, it was like a six hours long action in the regular queue in front of the Austrian consulate in Belgrade. And then the follow-up was the looking for a husband with the EU passport. That was a five years long project uh, in which I exchanged over 500 emails with people around the world, married for papers and moved to Germany uh, on the base of this um, um, uh, international marriage certificate, right? And then uh, started from another perspective to look at the at the uh, issue of migration, because then I was in the Schengen and the European Union. Uh, then came this, um, let's say, this after Corbie that was actually, uh, in a more uh, visual way, um, uh, dealing uh, with the uh, with the issues of biopolitics and the practice of checking the warmth of bedsheets in marriages between the EU and non-EU partners. Can you tell us a bit about that? What, what does it mean to check on the practice, on the warmth of bedsheets? In uh, well, um, they are... Um, the, well, this I, I'm more ready to talk about <laughs> in German terminology. Like, the, the police for foreigners uh, basically does check uh, uh, um, if the marriage is applied, whatever that means, right? And then um, you have to be prepared to know what that's supposed to mean. And uh, the, uh, presumably uh, sharing bed uh, or something like that should be a part of that. So the, that's, that's this practice that I refer to. Um, and uh, for my project, this looking for a husband with a EU passport, uh, we were really uh, always uh, taking care of those uh, basics that would not become super f uh, suspicious for the, for the representatives of, of uh, law, oh. right? With the, um, it's coming soon, the images from the after Corbet, uh, the origin of the world, um, they're it's just a, a visual work, right? And that was um, created in 2004, I think. And then in 2005, it was um, placed at the rotating billboards in Vienna at the point when uh, Austrian Prime Minister was um, about to overtake the presidentship, um, rotating chair of the European Union. And to kind of celebrate this, um, through the billboard exhibition. Uh, of course, the artist's positions were really critical and my work was removed after two days as uh, pornography, but uh, it stayed very much present in the press and uh, uh, even for six months it was like uh, quoted in the caricatures, what is really interesting. Um, and um, yeah, about this kind of double um, um, double standards of the of the Austrian uh, press and the public space when it's about um, body, right? 
I'm interested in the fact that in your practice, your feminist body is always at the forefront, so physically, legally, aesthetically, as we were we saw in looking for a husband uh, for a, with a new passport. But um, and also your practice has been um, linked to the notion of feminine sacra from from various uh, writers like Susanna Milemska. I wonder how you translate this concept from your performances and work when you are working with your own body um, to works and projects when you work with participants or collective projects? Um, well, uh, at certain point, um, uh, first, as I really spoke from my uh, own perspective, um, uh, those uh, three projects that we mentioned, uh, soon I exhausted my position because uh, they were also people coming from different continents and uh, uh, of different skin color, uh, different class. So it was they they were in a uh, even more difficult position. Uh, then I went uh, in with interviewing these people, and then um, uh, those uh, that's when I made uh, the Son Papier documentary in the deportation jail in Berlin, or I was going, um, I was following. Um, undocumented um, guest workers hunger strikes uh, for two years in Greece, but um, I've never managed to produce uh, something out of it because the, the economical situation uh, escalated there so badly. Um, but I was always interested in following uh, real people's stories and trying to talk from this perspective. That's why this um, through own body, it means like uh, you have credibility to talk about something, right? You experience that and uh, you can talk from this perspective. Um, and then with the um, difference between that and, for example, Naked Life Project uh, is uh, substantial because um, in the Naked Life Project I looked at um, uh, historical and uh, contemporary systematic and different sorts of discrimination of Roma, um, um, uh, Sinti and um, people uh, uh, travel, traveling people in around Europe. And each piece uh, had another uh, focus on um, uh, researching uh, local context. Uh, for example, I did on the UK, on Sweden, in uh, Germany, in the uh, Balkan countries, France, and so on. This was also a very long uh, project, but every piece would have own research um, based on, um, inter uh, uh, based on um, interviews that have been uh, done by authorized um, association, associations uh, working with uh, um, human, like a human rights activists uh, Roma communities, but also sometimes I, I also did myself. And there uh, I did uh, worked, I used my body um, as a kind of symbolic body and like a, um, to embody those stories and actually to show solidarity because the idea was to show solidarity with, with other people's uh, destinies and um, what they went through. And uh, this uh, pieces are not like uh, when you uh, read, um, when you have a speaker on TV reading news, right? It's really opposite of that because it, uh, it has an enormous uh, emotional engagement. That, that's, that's the way to, to show solidarity with those histories of, for example, uh, 
um, Roma people being deported from, massively deported, like uh, 10,000 of people being deported from Germany to uh, Serbia, Montenegro, um, Kosovo and Romania, based on individual stories, right? Uh, so completely opposite uh, than in the kind of then the stream of um, like just kind of getting having information right, uh, but uh, getting engaged emotionally engaged with with those histories and destinies. Um, and there um, I was um, kind of symbolically undressing uh, and also literary actually uh, after reading each case taking a piece of clothes. Uh, of getting down to the naked life, bare life, um, and yes. Went from 2004 until 2016, and actually you used the Naked Life series, and, and as far as I understood, and also you have been using, you know, dif in different time, different time, there are contexts to actually uh, empower the voices of marginalized communities uh, like the Roma people in this case. And I was wondering whether you feel that your practice has crossovers with social activism tactics. And in the, in the lexicon of Tanya Zostoic, you uh, mentioned yours being a cultural activism. What did you mean by that? Uh, okay, I, just, uh, I just have to go back to this, um, um, just Please remind me of yes. this question because uh, uh, there, there was this issue of um, um, like uh, uh, who is speaking and I, I stopped doing these projects like uh, for example Naked Life because uh, it is uh, uh, the Roma people that do uh, have finally uh, more Roma uh, uh, artists with a Roma um, heritage uh, are now uh, active in the art space and I, more of them are getting their voices. So I stopped speaking for them. Even I didn't spoke for them. I, th these are the, the projects we talked about. It's not about speaking for them. It's more about speaking like about my solidarity f with those histories, right? Uh, but I also uh, involved, uh, for example, the last uh, piece I made, um, or last two uh, performances I've done, I do them normally very rarely, like once a year or something, uh, was, one was in the uh, so Society of the Advocates Hall in um, Aberdeen. We will see uh, later images from that. And there I made my piece about the, the historical discrimination of Roma in the uh, different parts of UK and contemporary. And then there was a, a Roma woman after me, and then it happened that she was basically initiated as an activist there that afternoon because uh, she, for the first time, started to speak as an activist and also told us her story. That was very complex. I mean, and um, and then she started working in the community, in her community, in I think in Glasgow and, and so on. So this was uh, very important to kind of give on the the. The, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the space I mentioned, to give on the torch. And uh, uh, on the other side, in Berlin, in the, in the Naked Life project, um, I did um, looked at the case of uh, three uh, um, brothers uh, that were um, um, like uh, 
deported uh, from Germany to Kosovo and they were very talented hip-hop musicians and I, I followed their cases for years and, and then when I did a performance in Berlin I had them play concert after and that was really amazing that uh, you know we got together there performing the same night um, yeah but uh, your, your question was on the on the social activism uh, why I call it cultural activism because um, it rarely has uh, influence, a direct influence, what I'm doing on, on particular cases. For example, uh, when, uh, when, I was, when I went to the deportation jail uh, in Berlin in 2004, um, you know, I had to say to the people, I, I cannot help you directly, but we try to bring this to, to, to the issue, to, to, to spread more idea about the issue that um, uh, you are concerned, your, your case is concerned with, and that other people also, right? But um, still exchanging material with, the, for example, uh, Initiative gegen Abschiebung, and like a, with activist group, and for example, with the students of uh, political sciences uh, that were involved uh, in, in working with people. Uh, in certain cases, for example, a case of uh, Peter Oshiomegi, that was um, probably the main character of this uh, small documentary, uh, we continued following his case for uh, another two years uh, when he, um, a friend of mine, paid for him trip to Africa so that he was not deported. And then when he came back, he was married uh, and then he may got a legal status so really following his case for all this time this never became a part of the of the film because uh, um I, i've been involved on those like a no budget projects always right the the lexicon of tanya ostrich is the first partly funded project uh, so with the no budget projects it's uh, you really have to take years to produce them or sometimes you don't manage right yeah, yeah. that's why i call it um I, artistic um, cultural, activism. cultural activism because it does bring to the issue, it brings the issue into the art spaces, also uh, it communicates it further with, the, uh, for example, theoreticians uh, and, you know, uh, but it doesn't directly work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rarely works directly in support of a certain cases, right? Yeah quite clear in many writing and texts about your ethical core, the, the importance of the ethical participations in your works. And I also was uh, thinking, you know, in terms of that, uh, also co-ownership and co-authorship that you mentioned before. Um, it happened in a specific way, way in, in the uh, in lexicon of Tanya Stoich. I'm also wondering how this co-authorship um, works in play in a um, project like misplaced women for example um, well the issues of um, uh, authorship I think it's clear there everybody's uh, author of and owner of own uh, work uh, they are just uh, part of the joint platform right mm. uh, but uh, what is uh, very important for me there is to to share um, all the materials and to consult each other about how things are uh, publicized. And uh, even I, I remember interviewing um, a Palestinian man who was like a walking uh, to, to 
Turkey and then like was from the third try after <laughs> three years managed to go to Greece and was a part of a, a hunger strike that was successful. Um, and then three years later, he was not officially part of the 300 uh, 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 Son Papier hunger strikes, uh, but he was just supporting them. And I made interview with him and he told me like, uh, don't publish anything without you before you show me. And uh, and this was right. So you cannot treat people, uh, you know, their materials as, uh, uh, you know, as they're yours, their stories, as they belong to you. And this is very important, especially when we work nowadays uh, with um, uh, people that are in very unfortunate situations, right? Like, do we own a picture of them? Do we own their stories? Um, so my idea was to go to Kania to, to edit those materials with the people from the Migrants Forum. That it's done in the way that uh, we would all uh, kind of uh, participate in that, that we would all be happy with that. But I didn't manage to get a funding from three different countries, just zero, so I, I could not go. And then the political situation escalated so badly in Greece that wouldn't make really sense to continue because you couldn't look any more uh, issues of migration separated from uh, issues of economy and politics. And that was possible at certain point, but it's not uh, uh, in it's not anymore, right? And you highlighted the importance of time and long-term projects in, in your practice. And I was wondering, in terms of the open and ongoing project, because of funding and because of your, so your aims, what is the future for um, projects like Misplaced Women or Lexicon of Tanya Stoich, if it's still open? Uh, well, uh, with the lexicon, I can say uh, really the way I, um, I, I wrote my, um, w when I was about to, to write, because I did edit the book, right? And then all the essays were ready. I only had to do still my own um, <laughs> essay. And then uh, I had to struggle with that because it was so complex. And I realized I cannot close the issue. I can just open them up, uh, 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 scratch here and there, and it's there to to continue. Uh, it's it's there as a material for the further research, and f I think most of other projects are also in this way. Um, they are open for the further research. With the um, um, misplaced woman, concretely, because I, I'm doing this project since nine years, and um, I probably published uh, over 80 contributions. Um, that are um, uh, stories of people, um, essays, and also uh, visual contributions uh, from around the world. I, I plan this year another workshop. Uh, I would like to make a book out of that as well. I really love books because um, there is a special relationship. W when, when you have a book, uh, you can go further with something and uh, have different chapters, different types of stories, uh, uh, different cities, uh, because they, we also looked at the misplacement um, in uh, um, different reasons for that, right? And with each next workshop, there are also uh, uh, comes another issue, right? Uh, and that's uh, that makes it more rich and 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 um, more amazing. Uh, there is a misplaced woman archive. It's a it's a visual archive archive of stories, uh, videos, textile works, 
Uh, so I would really love to exhibit that archive in a proper uh, size, you know, that everybody's um, kind of... Um, it's not just one picture, right? But that people are properly um, into depth, like are presented what they've done as a contributions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if I have um, time for a last question, or is it no? Huh? Yeah, just the last question, uh, because um, we have been we have been talking about the lexicon of Tanya Stoich and all the uh, Tanyas were coming from for uh, were originally from former Yugoslavia, and so they could speak the same language. I was wondering which was the role of language, but also which new lexicon, which new vocabulary you think you have created with all the Tanyas together. The, 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 lexicon, uh, the lexicon entries are uh, Tanya's life stories and Tanya's um, like a life experiences and uh, these are lexicon entries, uh, you know, what they uh, have to say about certain issues. Um, I, I was once uh, taken uh, for the lexicon who is who in Serbia and, uh, and then I thought like, Wow, what other Tanyas uh, have been achieved and what they believe is important, you know, there are questions like what is important for you in life, uh, you know, are you happy, you know, what, what are your plans, perspectives, so these are, these are kind of lexicon entries in a way. Um, uh, the, what, what I looked at uh, particularly in, the, in my research on migration there uh, were when when we were, because Tanya Ostwich uh, happened to be an expert on migration, uh, some have been refugees, uh, some, some moved for the reason of work, uh, for marriage, for education, really for different reasons. And, um, and this, um, um, yeah, that's uh, important. We had these color codes, because when we did this big embroidery, uh, we did uh, try to, to summarize the issues into certain color codes, and um, uh, as, for example, red for emotions, uh, black for war, gray for administration, orange for creativity and Tanya's ostrich, because we also realized we're quite creative and have need to creatively express. Um, blue was for um, work um, and, and so on. So there, there is um, um, somewhere mentioned in the, in the text uh, the, the color codification. So, uh, that when one looks at it, one can read it, uh, this complex um, uh, work through these different um, uh, topics, as the interviews could be also read through those different topics. And uh, I uh, didn't want it to, to take those topics out and to then kind of summarize them, you know, to say, okay, about the work, this, this and that. Uh, I thought it's more... Um, it, it, it's more authentic and beautiful if you um, read it um, uh, directly, you know, and the, the way they're speaking. The translation issue, like a translation from Bosnian, from Serbian, from Croatian, was uh, also demanding, not easy to do, because uh, different women, they have different way of saying things. And then... Uh, when, when we were translating it to English, we also lost a part of it. Uh, and um, what they're saying and how they're saying. And also, uh, uh, basically, when, when it's about language, uh, I did not translate uh, textual part 
uh, of the of the embroideries uh, because uh, to make it also clear that there 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 is a lot of things that are codified in the uh, Yugoslavian history Yugoslavian cinematography uh, uh, you know certain culture that are also not translatable and and not uh, easy to grasp for for uh, uh, somebody from a different perspective, yeah, not not knowing this um, closely, right? If I manage to answer your question, no, you surely did. Actually, I have many other, but I don't know how, how we with time. Um, so uh, I would like to open to the floor, and maybe if there is time, I will ask you about your relationship with creators as well. Uh, but maybe let's ask. Some question from the floor now before. One second. Thank you. Um, hello. It was really lovely hearing you speak and kind of talk about other people's experiences and how you kind of deal with um, the people's experiences of migration and um, and how they kind of. Um, show their approaches through their creativity. So my question is two-tiered. First is, um, I didn't get much sense of what these, um, you know, what working in groups kind of meant to, well, I, I think I got what, you, what they meant to you, but I wondered whether there was something new that you learned about your own perception of borders or maybe something um, that kind of is just very, very much your story from working with others. Um, and the second part of the question is I'm really intrigued by the embroidered images and I kind of wondered how you arrived at those images, why were their hands, whether you were using any kind of images already kind of existing. I recognize a few symbols, but I wondered what was your process of in arriving to the, um, at those um, images that were effectively embroidered by the groups. I'll answer first the second question because it's uh, easier. Uh, uh, the, the women, um, uh, I tried to mention that before, the women were um, having, you know, some women they came and they, they came with a sketch to the workshop, you know. Uh, we had one even that was um, um, engineer, she came with a technical drawing, <laughs> what she's want to embroider, right? So she had a really clear idea about what she wants to do. And, and uh, she, of course, uh, you know, discussed with others. Some others said, oh, you know, we had a woman that works as a therapist in a, a, a female uh, jail and um, like uh, works with creative therapy and she wanted to, to embroider something related to her work and, and she had these hands uh, uh, like, uh, you know, like uh, reaching out, that, that were her clients basically. And she, she drew, she said, I would like to do something like that. And maybe she had difficulties to draw hands, but then some others said, okay, I can help you to draw hands. And, and this was like a process, um, like everyone had own uh, embroidery, um, and then they would ask each other, uh, or me, or Vahida, like, how, how can I do it, you know, to kind of do it technically, or um, some had certain ideas, and the other would say, come on, you know, and they would, like, uh, talk each other into this or that. 
Um, and some came and they said, oh, I don't know what to do, right? What shall I do, you know? And then I said, listen, I think from your interview, this story was very strong to me. Would you try to visualize it somehow, right? Uh, this is, for example, my embroidery because it's, it's based on my, uh, my research uh, where the women um, were born and where they're based. And in my text, I analyze how this, um, it's called um, uh, pr pr percentage cake or so on, how actually unreliable is, how it doesn't show really the, the situation after all, because uh, the women have been moving a lot in between <laughs> and ended up maybe at the place where they started from. Right, so that this is about the visual, visualization of the, of the workshops. We had four workshops in four different cities, and some women took part in um, uh, many workshops, while some others just showed up at one or two. And some embroideries were done over time, and some, some did the quick ones, right? It was like that. And the first question was? Uh, whether the work hearing other people's stories of them moving about, the reasons for moving about and so forth, um, whether that influenced the way you perceive borders. Have you found something that is uniquely your experience? Have you rediscovered something? Has that changed the way you perceive borders? That's kind of like a broad area of my question um, because we get a lot of sense of um, your nearly devotion to, you know, you know, encapsulating other people's stories. But I kind of wonder about your story in all this. No, I mean, of course, it is uh, like uh, my, my need to, f to uh, figure out other people's stories. And here you think, uh, I, I presume that you relate to, um, there, there are so many different uh, processes and projects in which I encounter other people's stories. So it's basically through all, all this work. And uh, uh, you constantly learn from each other and, uh, uh, you get not only informed about issues, and um, I think it's uh, it's how you can get to know about people and the, the actual situation, right? Uh, what is going on uh, and uh, what can happen to people and uh, how they struggle and how they survive. So you you learn about economy of the border of the borders, you know, how you literally tr travel. <laughs> And uh, you know, very basic. Uh, you get a, a real uh, kind of knowledge, right? Uh, or, uh, but uh, also the conditions and situation on the borders change quickly. Because I, I was doing once a workshop on the Balkan route in Belgrade, the the misplaced woman workshop, and there we had people who were just stopping uh, over to to get some refreshments and. Uh, change clothes uh, and um, and continue, right? But then just like our, I, I did then, there was one doing drawing about how to get into Hungary, right? But then just like uh, two weeks later, the Hungarian border closed, so the situation changed. Um, it is uh, like, yeah, uh, I cannot express uh, you know how complex it is uh, to to hear people's stories and to uh, you know feel uh, compassion with them and uh, with their stories. Yeah, I think that's the best way to learn about the issues.
Hello. Um, thank you so much for sharing. Um, it was really fascinating to hear about the projects and kind of unravel the details and it's amazing um, the kind of network of intimacies that you've sort of formed, um, which themselves have sort of traversed the borders, whether that was your intention at the start or not, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, so it's very intriguing, uh, both theoretically and curatorially. Um, so my question is, when it's about the Tanya Osterich project, where, um, from my understanding, it's you, you started out with the, the name that you're for yourself, and then by gathering the different people that happen to have this name, you brought together and networked all these stories and experiences um, that, in a sense, remapped a certain kind of border because of the Yugoslavian history. Um, so my question really is, has there been a moment, or are you open to a moment, or maybe it has already happened where there were people that maybe knew about the project and um, became so enamored by it that they wanted to change their names, say for example, to be part, to be in Tanya Ostrich and actually did it. Uh, because I know that you were in a sense also playing and reworking the legal frameworks through like the marriage system. So did that happen? And in a way, theoretically, I'm interested whether that would be of interest to you in the sense that then it also opens up the, the very um, notion of Tanya Osterich from being, you know, in a sense, a certain uh, intersection of class, race, intersection, you know, and all that things that you positioned yourself earlier to something that could actually be not no longer female, no longer white, no, you know, and how would that then, um, I mean, I guess it's just, a, it's just a question that I'm intrigued by because you were testing all these different borders and systems. I mean, this is a very interesting question uh, because I could not cast Tanya's ostrich, you know, I could not, uh, you know, they, they are as they are and they bring what they bring in. So I could not, uh, you know, create a, a transgender Tanya ostrich or something. It was not even my intention, you know, it was like a working with the people and as they come, as they are, you know, and uh, Maybe with some, we don't have like a political uh, ag agreement or something, right? But it was like a getting to the point, like a where we can, um, you know, communicate and collaborate and exchange. Um, there was a, a, a person that took part in the project uh, with the name uh, Jelena Dinic. And uh, she was very interesting because she, she took part in the Misplaced Woman workshop um, a few years earlier. And she was like, um, unemployed, um, like a nurse, and uh, we became, uh, uh, you know, and, and in the Misplaced Woman workshop, she, that was her first ever doing art, and that was like a really moving experience for her, and she wrote a very beautiful contribution to the project website, and with Yelena, uh, as I said, we became friends, and we kept in contact and then she had like um, breast surgery just before the um, yeah she had some difficult situations and when I was about to come to Belgrade to do this uh, embroidery workshop first one um, you know I was just chatting with her and I said yeah I'm coming I'm doing that and she said oh you know and I said well you know she was like can I come I said yeah, come, and if somebody asks you something, just say your name is Tanya <laughs> It was like a joke, right? But she came there, and then, like, yes, she was kind of pretending, uh, but after a while, she said she was not. 
but also Vahida was there, like we were leading the workshop together. Then was like a Sunchitsa from the um, Goethe Institute. She was also working with us. So there were also people with other names uh, getting involved in this embroidery. And then um, the, her embroidery was a big uh, surprise because she wasn't, uh, what she wanted to work with was this uh, naming and uh, uh, we had the whole section in the project, uh, like uh, anecdotes with naming and renaming and violence of naming. It's such a big issue. And um, apparently she was coming from a very traditional Montenegrin family and then she was embroidering uh, like her, like a male um, tr family tree, <laughs> like a going like for I think 10 generations. And it came up that basically when she got married, as she was like the last uh, caring, her, her father didn't have a son, so she was supposed to, in the family tradition, keep the family name. But when she was in the marriage office, she was just like, a, uh, not aware, she just forgot and she just changed the name. And then it was like a dis kind of disaster, right? And, and then she was like uh, reflecting a lot on that, uh, um, so the, the process of, the, of doing this embroidery being for her in the workshop, she reflected a lot about her own identity and name and, and how, uh, how good it was for her to feel as Tanya Ostwich, to be, you know, uh, to change her identity. And then she even, in the, in the text after, she said, yes, uh, I, I, I can even change, I, I, I think I might even change my name, like just to free from this kind of family burden and something, right? But uh, on the other side, I'm, I don't fetishize on this name. For me, this was just uh, uh, really the, the first basic playful uh, um, level of the project, to be honest, right? Some of the participants give to it uh, uh, more meaning. And uh, for example, they were participants that, for example, one uh, refused to marry because it, was, it meant if she would marry, she would have to change family name. Or another one uh, with the name Tatiana, they refused to register her in the office as Tanya when she was born because this name was considered nickname, Tanya. And then she, the whole life, refused responding to name Tatiana because she was Tanya, right? And they were like, some people gave a lot of meaning to this name, um, right? Yeah, hi. Um, I was just wondering if, like, outside of the scope of art, you found things in... Well, I see this, or at least the book, is quite a research project, and because it touches on, like, migration and international, like, relations, if there was stuff in your research, in, like, quite a cool artistic project, um, stuff that you think could be useful outside of the art world? Well, everything. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's quite um, that's quite difficult question. I have to be honest, right? Um, I think w um, the the art art world has its own um, you know good sides and bad sides, right? As as the space out, but we we talked about it uh, as a um, like a. Uh, 
just one space to challenge uh, the, the, the world outside in, in different way or to look at it from the different perspective. Uh, but the world outside of the art world is the world, real world, right? So everything in, outside of art world is important and is to be considered. Uh, I, I don't know if I understood your question right. Yeah. So what you decide to talk about while you are in an art context because you can choose your topics, you can choose the issues that you was, want to tackle and you want to um, rise as questions to the public, to yourself, and that it's something that it's a choice, it's committed. Maybe we cannot call it activism, it's a cultural, artistic, um, you know, uh, willingness of engaging with these topics again and again for years, I suppose, to make sure there's no uh, sidelined. Yeah, I meant like within the project specifically as well. So say like um, when you like border crossing, if there's something that say um, someone like governmental, for instance, wouldn't have picked up on, but you as an artist and working on the ground level, pick stuff up which would be useful um, outside of the art world, but within the project. Does that make sense? Um, oh yeah, maybe, maybe the route to pass undocumented the border between uh, you know, some countries. He happened to some project actually opened up you know, this route. Well, I, I, believe that, um, yeah, I, I believe that artists should, as other people, should uh, you know, be responsible for the consequences of what they're doing. So uh, I believe that uh, the artists should, you know, the law should apply to everyone, uh, including artists. And uh, uh, in whatever the, the law is about, right? If, if we, <laughs> you know, if, if there is a law, it should apply to everyone, whether they're politicians, artists, or ordinary people, right? That, that's, that's, my, uh, that, that's my opinion about this, uh, but yeah. It is difficult sometimes to translate what we do. For, for my point. projects, if I would uh, get into the court, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it would be demanding for me because uh, the projects were self-financed uh, and uh, to, you know, uh, deal with the, you know, costs of the low cases. But uh, for the project itself, um, it wouldn't be bad because they would get probably more publicity and one could discuss them also on another level. So I'm, uh, I was, as an artist, aware of the uh, kind of risk in the terms of law that I was taking uh, during those projects, right? And I was ready to, you know, to deal with the consequences. And maybe to go back to your question, it's always very difficult to translate what you can do within an art context than to outside that. Some artists, uh, they define themselves also as activists, they combine the two, but not everybody does that. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think there's so many layers to um, kind of negotiate. Yeah. 
Yeah. Actually, you should look at Tanya's work on the relations between artist and curator because she has been doing some very interesting provocations in the early 2000s and playing around these power relations as well. I'm thinking about work. I'm, I know that we are running out of time, but just to tap on this, is like uh, I'll be your angel or sofa for curator or vacation with curator. It was a playful provocation about this power relation that is often unresolved. Yeah, the, the project uh, was, um, well, it had a consequences that I was blacklisted in certain uh, circles, right? But it did open up for me in a, uh, rather feminist uh, circles or, uh, you know, because when you're subverting the position of power um, and exposing it with your artistic practice within the art world, then you are even, you don't mean it personally to any of the, uh, positions of curatorial power that was addressed or was involved in this project, um, it, you know, you get on the way somehow with with certain um, with certain projects. So the idea was to to challenge this uh, those power structures, and um, the the work has been done quite quite frontally, <laughs> and that's why uh, the, those consequences were in the way, as Can I mentioned. Can you tell us a bit But about then I, uh, after I, I decided uh, rather to go around the position of power and, and get engaged with the different issues, as you could see with the, uh, with the body of the work that we have been talking about here tonight. So thank you. Thank you very much, Tanya, and everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>